You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, The Journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. Today on The Journey... We are going to do a pup date. We're going to recap <laughs> where the pups are at, what they're doing, who's doing what, how old they are, some of the things that I have done with them. So uh, Chris is joining me, and we're going to do some recaps. He's been down. He's seen the pups. And we're going to go over some other things. And I'm going to kind of give you guys um, an update on a trip that I just took, probably one of the better trips that I've taken in my adult life for sure. 
Um, and I'm very envious of the people, the listeners that live out West. Like that's kind of where my heart wants to be, especially after I've been out West several times, but so we took a, um, a trip to Yellowstone and Grand Tetons and it was absolutely, you know, phenomenal. And I, my heart kind of goes out to the people that's there now with the flooding and, I know some of the campers and stuff are stuck in the park and can't get out. And when I watch those videos, like, I mean, I was on that road, I was across that bridge, you know, I was down that valley. So, I mean, it's very fresh in my mind. Like I said, we just got back last week, um, spent nine days out there. And like I said, I'm very fortunate that we got to see and had the opportunity to, to visit and do the things we did. And like I said, now the people that's out there is kind of, um, getting rained on and flooded and stuck and everything else. So if you're going to be stuck somewhere, I mean, why well, not? it would be a good place to be stuck except, uh, the grizzly bears. We seen plenty of those while we were yeah. out there. So yeah, you were sending me pictures back and of hiking up these trails and stuff. And yeah, yeah I was I'll tell you wondering uh, if you're going to have any grizzly engagements. Well, I'll tell you a funny story when we get into it, but, it is a when when Alan Jackson says it's hotter than a hoochie coochie in Virginia, it's hotter than a hoochie coochie. I got up this morning and my windows, um, for you guys that oh. have the humidity, they're completely fogged up. There's dew coming off of them. I looked at the temperature gauge; it was seventy six. So I don't know what the humidity is at this point, but it is hot. I feel like when I walk out the door, I feel like I'm down at the beach. It's so the humidity is so high. It's so hot here. Tried to fish for a couple hours yesterday and I just couldn't take it. Like it was so hot. You told me you were, you told me you were going fishing. I was like, and I told you then I was like, the only way I'd be fishing today is if I was waiting. Well, you know, I would not, I used to sit in those patrol boats on days like, like we we're having right now. And it was miserable. We used to work, um, a thing called the Madison Regatta. It's a hydroplane race. And it was so hot one year that we actually took the boat, the patrol boat, and we ran the, you know, the boat patrol and security and blah, 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 all that stuff. But we had to take the boat and get upstream and we peeled our gun belts and we had to get in the water. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it was that hot. There was a, the thing that always, the, the thing, let me tell you this real quick. The thing that always drove me crazy about doing boat patrol is you'd pull up to these people that were out there, you know, they had a cooler of beer and they had a tube and, and they were doing all this boating and I'm sitting there. I mean, I'm wearing a, a body armor on the boat in uniform with a gun belt, just sweating. I, I couldn't even write. If I had to write a ticket, the sweat absolutely ran down my face and, and onto the ticket where you couldn't write it. So that was one thing, but then people would say, man, I think it'd be cool to have your job. You get to come out here and boat and everything out. And I, I just look at them like, are you freaking crazy? Not in all that you, gear. Mm -mm. No, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was horrible. I hated boat patrol. Yeah. But yeah, we, well, I had a purpose yesterday. Um, we had went out Friday night to do a little catfishing and Maddie wanted to throw, she wanted to musky fish for a little while. And so she was throwing some, some musky lures she got hung up, which typically she's really good about. When you get hung up with a musky plug, you just hit your release button, you get the boat back up, and you go get your, your plug. Well, 
I think she waited a little long before she said, Dad, Dad, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Well, by the time I could hit the trolling motor to stop us and try to get back up, the line just snapped. And I'm like, oh, I mean, if, if you guys musky fish, you know how expensive those lures are. And how much are they? This one was 30 bucks, um, <laughs> which is on the cheaper end. Uh, unless you're, if you're getting custom, custom stuff built, they're a little, it's, they're a lot higher, but I, I have not bought a musky lure this year. I'm proud of myself because last two years I've bought way more than I should have. So trying to use what I got, if I can't catch them off what I got, then I probably don't need to buy any more. But anyway, yeah. I went back yesterday and run into one of my buddies. He was actually down there fishing and. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, trying to find this lure that we lost Friday night. And the water had went down. It was really low. The water was clear. So we started searching a, uh, a ledge. The ledge went across the river. So I just got, I just started trolling and working that ledge out. Well, I ended up finding the lure. So anyway, we got in and was able to get the, the lure out. And it had my leader and everything on it. So I was tickled to death. So yeah, we did get in the water. But the water, honestly... It was 69.1 degrees, which is, you know, we, it stays up in the seventies in the summer and as hot as it's been, I thought the water would have been warmer, but it was still a little cool. You'd think 69 is not, you know, cool, but it is. So yeah, anyway, that's Olympic pool type temperature there. Yeah. But we did, I did, I did get my lure back. <laughs> I fished for a couple hours got a little too much sun and come back and had to get in the air condition. It was just too hot. Yeah. I'm looking at custom musky lures right now and we're looking at $59 and up. Yes. That, yeah. Most of them. Yeah. I, yeah. One of my, fa one of my favorite lures is six, it's $60 and I have like five of them. Um, and I've, I catch more fish off of that one than I do anything else. And I've had to replace a couple because man, when they get smashed, that musky and all those teeth, like it, it will destroy a lure. Like it, it will destroy it. So can you refurbish them or anything? Can you hand like hand paint them like the old plugs? Well, or? if they're, if they're, if they're molded, um, or wood, yes. Mm -hmm. But this one is a poured plastic. Yep. So once they rip it, um, now I've got, you've got this, uh, stuff called mend it what you can put on there if, you, if the tooth cuts it or something you can put the mended in it but after so many times of doing that it just really like the last the last musky i caught in november um she was a big she's big like she literally just crinkled the door up and twisted it and it just she ripped the tail half off of it so when the tail's off that's what that's what you really like is that thump yeah. thump, thump 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 in the water so Mm -hmm. but yeah you can you can fix them sometimes and then like i said and you know that one of the guys toby that hunts with us yeah. toby and i fish a lot and um he makes he makes his own stuff and he's very good and that's it's his lore that i am very partial to like i've yeah that's been my best that's been my most confident lore is the ones that he's makes and um so mm -hmm. yeah so let's uh let's recap my trip out west and We'll get into these puppies and what they're doing. If y'all can't hear them barking, I know that one of them's outside baying at something. I'm not sure what, what it's baying yeah. at. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we took a trip to Yellowstone. We flew into uh, Idaho Falls and drove up, and we stayed right outside of West Yellowstone. And like I said, I've been to 
I've been to Montana. I've been to Glacier twice. You know, we I've been through most of Idaho um, over the years. Now, I haven't been down to Idaho Falls or Boise, and I'll tell you about that excursion here in a little bit. But yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, I know this story. <laughs> we flew, we flew into Idaho Falls and drove up, and we rented a um, a cabin. Um, stayed there, really nice. Um, we was twenty minutes out of out of the park, and the first morning we get out there, we fly out on Saturday, wake up Sunday morning, there's two and a half inches of snow, which we knew the weather was going to be chilly. The highs were in the 50s, 55s. So we packed accordingly, wake up in two and a half inches of snow on the first morning and come to find out we rented a Tahoe and we get into Tahoe and we go to pull out of the driveway and I'm like, hey, is this thing four wheel drive? And we're all looking around and guess what? It's two wheel drive. You got a two wheel drive. Oh, man. And we had to go through a pass to get over to where we needed to be so anyway it all worked out the, the the roads weren't as bad as we thought and they cleared up pretty good so we all we went into the west side of the park um which takes you into madison junction and we spent the first day on the north end of the park up towards um mammoth springs in that area and around towards uh roosevelt junction the wildlife is just absolutely for me that was the one of the biggest things. Um, bison. And, you know, coming from the East Coast, we have buffalo farms everywhere. We've got yeah. them. You know, I can take you within an hour drive of my house to at least three different buffalo farms. I didn't realize there was a difference in buffalo and bison. And there <laughs> is. Um, yeah. What, what is it? So the bison have a bigger hump on their back. Um they're a little bit, actually a little bit bigger. Their heads are blockier and they have that beard hanging down underneath their chin. Mm-hmm. So the buffalo here are definitely not, I mean, they're not as big. Um, if you go up the, to, to Waiteville to that one buffalo farm, I mean, you can see it. I mean, I, like I said, I can tell now that I've seen a, a bison. And so bison, we've got, we got into bison road jams about every day. They'd either walk Them in the middle of the road. Huh? Them horns will hook you. Well, you remember P. You remember PI saying that on uh, Lonesome Dove? Oh yeah, yeah. Gus was saying, "Let's go chase one of those buffalo." And <laughs> PI says, "I don't know. Them horns will hook you." Yeah. So, well, <laughs> actually, um, so we went in. We went in Sunday. Spent, you know, we was up in the north end of the park. I mean, we seen, we seen every animal except the wolf, and we missed it. Um. The second morning we were, second day we were there, we actually just missed a pack of wolves. A buffalo had died. Oh, you missed it, like miss seeing it. You didn't miss it with like a three hundred wind. No, no. <laughs> it, um, so we seen every mammal that we would wanted to see. I mean, we seen buffalo or bison, elk, moose, mule deer, blacktail deer. We seen. Uh, Big bighorn sheep, mountain goat with a kid. That was pretty interesting to watch them, you know, kind of ledge out and some. I mean, it's just phenomenal how them things do not die at that height and the steep and in the crazy in the side of the cliff. And the kid, the kid was just jumping from here to here to here. And I'm like, oh, that thing's gonna fall. Um, so we spent <laughs> a lot of time. We took our binoculars and um, 
there's a really there's a camera shop there but before you go into west yellowstone and we kept seeing everybody with these big camera lenses and big spot and scopes and they had yellow tags on them we couldn't understand what it was so we stopped in there and actually rented a camera lens and a spot and scope mm. um so we spent a lot of time watching the wild i mean that was the majority of our trip was watching wildlife um we've seen coyotes coyote pups and of course antelopes everywhere um grizzly we seen 10 bear and i didn't count the bear that we seen twice we seen 10 grizzlies one with a cub actually yeah one with a cub and then one with three cubs and then we seen two two black bear with cubs both of them had uh, two cubs apiece and one was a cinnamon i mean it was very distinctive you could you can tell the color color phase difference in it um seen so we seen eight black bear 10 grizzlies one of the grizzlies was actually collared and had a red tag in its left ear. We seen him twice. He he was kind of hanging out in the same area. Um, so yeah, I mean it was just it was just a, a great experience for me. And you know I love being in the mountains. I love I love you know wandering. That's one of the things about bear hunting that draws me is being able to just walk and go in places that people haven't been. And you know I can't sit still. And being do out- you ever. Did you ever get that feeling though? It's like what you talk about walking into places you've never been. When you walk into some place like that that's foreign to you, do you ever get that feeling? It's like, man, there's stuff here that leads you. Yes. Um, and it's kind of intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, here, uh, I mean, you can I mean you can cross a mountain and, and get to the bottom of it and find a creek or a road or vice versa. But out there, I mean you're looking at miles and miles and miles. Of, Were you carrying an inReach with you or anything? No, no. We um, honestly, well, in Yellowstone, the cell service was spotty. We didn't have it in a lot of the park. And then once you got to the major junctions, you, you could pick up cell service. And then in the Tetons, we pretty much had cell service the whole time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just, you know, being out there and standing on some of those uh, ridge tops, whatever you guys call them, and just looking out for miles and miles, and you know, you you see, you know, the open the open fields with the sage, and then you hit the rolling, you know, part ridges and stuff that go up, and it was very interesting about the timberline. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the timberline hits about ten thousand, eleven thousand feet, and that's where that there's no timber. So we was Googling that and researching that because here we have, you know, we have our, the highest point here is on closest to me is Mountain Lake and it's 5,200 feet. Um, mm. And, you know, we were out there and I mean, thir- well, the Grand Teton, 13,000 some feet. So, yeah, oh, it was just, I mean, it was an amazing trip. And so we got, we go down to the Grand Tetons on Wednesday evening and piddle. Wait, before you get, before you get away from Yellowstone, did you see any like Chinese tourists get hooked by a buffalo or anything? So, yes, um, not a Chinese, <laughs> but, oh, I got to, forgot to tell you the, the, the highlight of my trip is I got to fish. I got to trout fish in Yellowstone. Um, I fished on the Firehole River, which is right above, right, right above, um, Old Faithful. And mm. you can fish on different sections of the, the, the park. I didn't know this. So when we got out there, I started talking to, uh, we stopped at a couple fly shops and, um, talked to some guides and talked to different people and kind of put a game plan together. There was actually two fishing poles in our cabin 
And we were just going to hit a lake that <clears throat> a lake that was across right up the road from our cabin. We were just going to go there and fish. And I stopped in a couple fly shops and talked to them. And they're like, no, absolutely. You can buy a three-day permit. This is what you got to do. But the rules and guidelines out there are very confusing because one, one river, you can't catch this, turn this loose, and the other river, you can't keep anything. And on this river, if you catch this, this, and this, you can't turn it back. So we picked the simplest part, <laughs> and we fished a, um, the fire hole. And we've seen several fish, people fishing throughout the first two days, or Sunday and Monday. And I had picked out a couple sections that I thought looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so we, we went and fished and, you know, all the native species, they're not stocked like here. The fish are completely different than here. The fit, the, the stock fish are a lot tamer. They mm-hmm. don't fight as hard. They don't like when you get your hands on them, they're not trying. I mean, these fish were like, I mean, they were like sharks, man. They, yeah. they fought, they were super aggressive when they hit. I mean, they were coming up out of the water through two and three foot you know, why you were trying mm-hmm. to get them in. It was just, I mean, it was an awesome experience for me. Like an outdoor life moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really would like to go back to take like a three day trip. I'd like to fit and maybe wade fish one day and float fish one day and kind of see what happens. But I would really like to go back and do that. That's something that's on now it's on my bucket list to do. So yeah. yeah. So Monday we were at old faithful Monday and now it was spitting snow and kind of a little bit of a drizzle rain. And, um, we Tuesday morning when we got up, uh, first thing we seen is where a, um, a girl from Ohio, 25 year old girl from Ohio had been killed by a Buffalo or bison, excuse me. Yeah. And we got wow. to reading about it and it was in the black sands, um, geyser area, which is between old faithful and where we fished. Like we literally fished a quarter of a mile from where that happened. And it's, you know, such a small world. I ran into several people from Virginia, um, talked to them. I was talking to one of the park rangers and he was actually, he had actually lived in Roanoke for the guys that don't know Roanoke's about 40 minutes from me, maybe. And he had worked, he was a, a retired Alaskan state trooper. And he had been mm. transferred to Roanoke to um, basically track down fugitives from Alaska on the East Coast. But he was based out of Roanoke. So it's been a good while talking to him. And, you know, one thing that he said, and I, it just blows my mind, the lack of common sense, that these animals are tame because they, they see people nonstop. But they're not tame because they're still a wild animal. They, mm-hmm. you don't, it's, I mean, you cannot. I mean, every piece of material they hand you going in and out of the the um, ranger parts when you go in the park, every all the signs it says stay away from the animals. It stay at least yeah. twenty five yards away. Do not approach. Stay away from the grizzlies. Stay away from this. I mean, they're it's endless. It's yeah. endless, and I'm not a hundred percent sure about the details of what actually took place, but there is a. Um, yeah. So anyway, she was on a boardwalk and there was a, a, a bull bison way too close to her. And he ended up, um, he ended up attacking her and, and, and he killed her. And he, she actually, uh, the park ranger said he actually like gored her with the, the horns. What it, it went pretty much through her. Them um, horns will hook you. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that was, I mean, that was awful. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you hate that that happens and, 
uh, you know, the buffalo, the the bison, or they're 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 big animals. Even when we were driving down the road and they were coming up beside us, I mean, they were giving you that look through the corner of their eyes, and I'm like, you know, we're in a car, but I still don't feel safe. Like I really didn't. I was like, man, they hit this door. They're, I mean, it's gonna be they're gonna total this vehicle because they're just yeah. such a massive animal. <laughs> So yeah, that the fishing and like I said, the girl, like I said, we fished about a quarter of a mile from where where she had got um, killed. So that's very unfortunate, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hate you hate that for her and her family and anybody that was involved. So, but yeah, so Wednesday evening we drove to Tetons, which is about sixty five miles south of um, Yellowstone. Drove down. And it was kind of like a di- different atmosphere in Yellowstone. We spent more time in the car driving and looking and pulling off the side of the roads. And the, the Tetons had a lot more campers, um, people biking. I mean, it was bike paths everywhere and hiking. Yeah. So Thursday morning, somebody had the wonderful idea that we were going to hike up to a place called Delta Lake and Delta lakes in the middle Teton. And it's, it's about a four and a half mile hike up and, you know, four and a half mile hike back. But we got up to about 8,500 feet and there was snow. And the the park park ranger that morning when we come in, she asked us, hey, you know, what are y'all doing today? Well, we're going to hike to Delta. And she goes, oh, just be prepared. There's going to be snow. And, of course, they had shut down several of the trails because of the grizzly bear activity. She said mm. the last last month it had been really, really high. And I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, here we're going to get up there and run into a grizzly, a mama and a uh, cubs. And I said, you know, one of you kids are going to have to be sacrificed. Just as I'm pushing, <laughs> I'm pushing one of you down and I'm out of here. <laughs> but, um, so we got down and we got up to about 8,500 feet. And of course there was snow and the, the higher you went, I mean, the more snow. And I like some places where it was melting, I was falling through, I was falling up to about my waist. Whew. But Delta was actually unsafe so we decided not to take the kids in there because um a couple people had tried to get in there and come out and we ended up going up up uh, on up the mountain to surprise and uh, amphitheater lakes which is right at ten thousand feet um and it was froze over so <laughs> like one of the no girls, fishing one of the girls was like you gotta be kidding me we walked all the way up here and it's frozen um, so, and there was a small avalanche while we were up on top that went down towards Delta Lake. So that was a, a good thing. We didn't, didn't get in there, but so on the hike up, we were probably, I don't know, we were, we started at 6,600 feet. So we were probably in that seven, 7,000, 7,500. Um, of course you carry your bear spray, you know, we talked and, you know, the air change didn't affect me like I thought it would. I was surprised. It was just being fat and out of shape and what hurt me the worst. Um, so the air change was not a huge factor like I expected, but we didn't. We all carried backpacks that had some food and drinks in it for ourselves. Uh, like I said, I carried the bear spray. So on the way up, we seen, I mean, we seen marmots. We seen grouse. We seen, um, what else did we see? Anyway, so we, we seen one grouse and the, I mean, the thing was fat. I mean, it was fat. Hmm. So we get up another half a mile up the path and there's a grouse standing in the middle of the road or the path. And it kind of throws its head up. And I'm like, I've seen that behavior before because my dad's got chickens. Well, next thing you know, that thing's coming at us wide open. 
So all the kids start screaming. I jump up on the bank and I try to go up around the bank and up and around it. Well, that thing jumps up on the bank, starts chasing me around the side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I've got to like hurdle logs and I'm going over a rock ledge and I jump back down on the path and the kids have already shuffled up the path and I'm like, run, run. So we're running up the mountain. And I mean, literally this thing chased us for about a hundred yards. I mean, literally for about a hundred yards. So anyway, we get up around a switchback. And we, so it was like a road is like a Rhode Island red rooster chasing oh, you around type you, thing? Like very, very aggressive. Um, well, I'm curious why you were running. Why didn't you just stop and face off with him? Well, I just didn't. Well, I, I don't want to hurt it. You know, we're in a national park. I don't want to Oh, I don't want you were doing thing. it for his sake. You were doing it for his <laughs> safety. Right. I get I was I saving get the animal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I understand. We that. get up around the switchback, and sure <laughs> enough, man, we hear somebody screaming below us. <laughs> so we're like, oh, they got attacked by the, the grouse. <laughs> and we heard screams for like the next, the next two switchbacks because it was right underneath us. And we'll come to find out she had a nest right beside the path so she was being very protective and on the way back down um me and kenna had got out in front we were with a couple from ohio and we was walking pretty fast back down and somebody had dropped set their binoculars down right where that thing was standing and kenna's like well somebody left i said you just keep walking just keep walking just keep moving so we walked on and then the rest of them they were about 100 yards behind us and sure enough when they got to where those binoculars were they stopped Oh, somebody left our binoculars. And next thing we know, we hear them all screaming. We all, we just started dying laughing. But It was an ambush. Um, we did not get attacked or eaten by a grizzly, but we got harassed by a grouse. Wow. So that was the highlight of the Tetons. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been worse, I guess. Yes, it could have. I'll take the grouse over a grizzly any day. So yeah. Saturday, we were supposed to fly out and... Oh, Lord, Lord bees. Um, we got up and was getting ready to head to the airport. And we stayed in Victor, Idaho, which was across the mountain from Jackson. And they sent us a notification that our flight had been canceled. We're like, what? I was like, well, let's just get up and go on. We'll go on down to the airport and figure out what's going on. We'll come to find out the plane had a mechanical issue. It was going to be out of service. So everybody going to Salt Lake City that day was basically getting diverted, delayed, it was a it was a complete cluster. We spent an hour and a half in the airport trying to figure it out. So we ended up keeping our rental car and driving to Boise, three and a half hours west. And we actually mm -hmm. stayed there overnight and ended up flying out the next morning. But we all got diverted. We didn't. Our flight path was not the same. And because they stuck us on different flights, all, all we were all separated in without the plane, which is you know is what it is. Yeah. But Boise. So if any of you guys have been to Asheville, North Carolina, um, Boise reminds me a lot of Asheville. Just the environment, the vibe that you get from walking downtown, um, several breweries and uh, restaurants. They've got the street shut off and where you can just kind of walk in and, and walk around. So it was, um, it was a good experience. You know, I've never been to Boise and we enjoyed it. Are there as many, are there as many Subarus in Asheville? As there are in Boise? Mm, I would say that's a toss-up. I would say that's a toss-up. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, Boise. And, and they had this one alley that had been painted. 
Um, if you walk down this, and I forgot, uh, Scare Alley, I think it's what they called it. But it had like murals all on the buildings, down the sides. Um, it was pretty interesting and some really good artwork. But yeah, yeah. So we flew out the next day at five and got home like at nine thirty the next that night. It was a long day, long trip. I hate flying. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, glad to be home and be back in the mountains, but it's hot. The puppies were probably the, the happiest to see us because <laughs> they right. had been, uh, my, my, well, actually Chad that had done the podcast with us, he actually, um, come up him and Matthew had come up and taken care of all the dogs for me, which is a blessing because I have a lot of dogs and they just live, I mean, literally a mile from me. So, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew would come up and take care of them while Chad was working and, and I that's, to do that's good to have somebody that knows dogs take care of your dogs. Yeah. You know, and plus, I mean, with the police dogs, that's one thing people don't understand is with the police dogs, like I can board them, but you know, it costs the department money. Um, and a lot of people don't want to feel with full with them cause they're scared of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Chad and Matthew are great about helping out and, and they do like anytime I'm like vacation, I mean, they're usually my go-to unless they're, unless Chad's out of town or something. So yeah, it's good. And like I said, we're back and dogs are going to try to start getting them out of the wheelbarrow mode because that's what they look like right now. How much, how much do you think they changed in that nine days that you're gone? Did you see any significant changes? They look like they growed a, a ton. Um, yes, they, they look like completely different dogs, honestly. And, you know, just maybe just being gone or whatever. But so the pups at this point, um, they are tomorrow. What's tomorrow? Friday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Um, They're going to be 18 weeks old at the end of this week. Okay. Mm. So they're, I mean, they're, they're past their four months. Um, The changes that have went on in the last month, month and a half is unbelievable. Um, They are really getting testy with each other. They're that, that pack order is really in play. Um, and of course, if we catch it or see it, we do not allow that. Uh, we just stop it completely. But so what are you talking about exactly there? You're talking about fights over like a bone in the yard. You're talking about food aggression. Well, okay. How, so, how are they, how are they establishing their pack order? Um, it's over, it's, they're not, there's no fighting over food and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute because that, you know, we talked about Attica and added, we call her attitude. Um, that it's over stupid stuff. Like the neighbor, you know, she's got her horses down here. I mean, literally right beside the yard and the farrier was in here last week and he had trimmed up their, their hooves and stuff. Well, they've been carrying their trimmings back. Right. And then right. one of them will get it and then the other one will want it. And it, it'll start out with that growl. And the next thing you know, the other one starts barking, 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 and encroaching and getting in. And the next thing you know, they're you know they're they're. I haven't seen a knockdown drag out fight. Um, and we're on top of it pretty quickly. Um, if 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 they start that, so we're trying we trying to eliminate it before it starts. I haven't seen a a knockdown drag out fight. But I have seen a couple, you know, when they get in there and get started, you know, they, they'll go after it until we get on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, when we what, come, is, what does that entail? 
what does that entail? I mean, you say you get on them. How are you actually handling that um, situation? So I've not been rough with these dogs. And when I say rough, if you if you listen, I don't know which podcast Ariel talks about it, but you have to be fair for the age. So when if they're if they're in a serious fight, it's it's a little bit more aggressive. Like I'll I'll get on them. Um, I've got a uh, a paper towel roll downstairs. It's got some newspapers in it. And I'll take it out there, and, and I mean, I'll I'll get on them. Um, mm-hmm. That is more of a a shock or fear. It's it's not a it's not a pain thing. It's more like a pop 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 pop. And I mean, it'll like oh okay, what do you what are you what are you doing here? And then I'll stand right in the middle of them, like I claim that. Boom, mm-hmm. I stand there, um, and then you'll see they'll just shake their head and then they'll wander off, and start doing another thing. Yeah. Um, so like I said, age appropriate, if you're not fair with the punishment. Um, so that's that you can be too rough on them. And like I said, we try to, we're trying to stay away from the, the completely bad experiences. Yeah. So you're, you, you basically with that paper towel roll, you're just creating a situation that is loud, that breaks their attention and re redirects their, focus on what the behavior you're trying to correct. Yep. I, I'll tell you one thing that I always, I've always used is, um, and this sounds horrible, but until I explain it, but those yellow wiffle ball bats are amazing. But here's the, here's the trick that I've, I've found. You go ahead and you cut the end, the, not the handle end, the, the other end off of that wiffle ball bat, and then you split it. Yep. L- lengthways down. That thing is completely harmless, but I'm telling you, it makes so much racket and stuff that it absolutely gets their attention. It's harmless. I mean, you can beat yourself with that wiffle ball bat and you're never going to hurt yourself. Yep. And, uh, but the noise, the dynamic, you know, they, they think their world is coming apart at that point. Yep. And I mean, just, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as a touch. Depending if it just, yeah. if it's just yep. starting and I'm sitting out there with them and one of them gives that that little snarl or growl, I just reach over and just touch. I mean, just bam, touch them. Yeah, give a little hiss when I do it, um, and that stops it. It's just to redirect. Right. You know, okay, wait, all right, what's going on here? Just snap them out of that minute, that 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 second. Um, so I try. I'm trying to be very fair about how I handle it. Um, trying to not to be. Um, there has to be, there has to be some punishment, especially, you know, for behavior and, um, yeah, we, I mean, we really, like I said, I haven't, I haven't had the, the, the stretch out fights. I haven't had it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. And so what do you call What do you call that kind of correction? Uh, Heath, is it, is it positive? Is it negative reinforcement? It, you know, what do you technically call that? Cause you talk about this stuff on your podcast a lot. Yeah. So when you, when you um, touch, just reach out and you can touch and you correct the behavior. What would you call that? That's a, I mean, that's more, that's going to be more of a, a positive punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, you're getting punished, but it's not detrimental. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, all I'm doing is redirecting that behavior. Um, you know, if I'm looking at negative punishment, that would be the E or something that stimulates, uh, or something that, you know, has a negative effect. On, on the dog. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, when we come home, 
when we got home Sunday night from, from out West, when I come out, you know, I, when I come out the road and I get ready to turn up the driveway and like I said, you know, I live, I live 200, 300 yards off the main road, which is a dirt road. All the dogs are standing down at the road at the barn. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's time to start putting these boogers up. Um, cause so Chad was coming up in the morning and letting them out in the evenings and vice versa. So they were doing that. And he knew, I mean, he knew I was going to be home and I told him just to leave them out. So that's why they were out that evening. Um, so that chain, you know, they're at the point now where they're getting down towards the road. That's not, I don't want them down there. And, um, so we, we are now when we're not home, we put them up mm-hmm. and I've got them split up. I don't put six in a pen. Um, right now I've got three and three. I put three in a pen and three in a pen. I cannot put Allie or not, excuse me. I cannot put Ari, which is, she's the alpha female of the bunch. No questions about it. She's the alpha and she's the one that's the biggest. She's the one that looks like a Holstein cow. Like she's huge. Yeah. And Attica, I cannot put them two together. Um, and I, when I say that, I I can, I'm not going to put them together for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It's not like they just fight and carry on all the time. But when you put them in a pen, coop them up for eight or ten hours, um, you know they're confined to an area. They get bored. So I'm just trying to eliminate that that interaction. That way, I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So I separate them two, and I usually put one of the males in each pen, and then I'll put. Um, Allie and August. So let's start with August. August was the one that I told you that got confused the easiest, frustrated the easiest. Um, that, you know, she was a little bit slower coming around than the other four five. Well, that has completely changed. Um, if you were going to pick these pups on looks and looks alone, you would pick mm-hmm. Axel and August. August is the best looking pup of the litter blanket back. Um, r- really good confirmation. And I know Chad talks about that and Ariel and I talk about puppy selection a little bit. And that's one of the things that we left out is I do look at the confirmation. Now, is it the end all to be all? No, but I do like certain things. Um, and sometimes I don't have those certain things and I have to understand if, if, if my dog is, you know, we talk about being cow hocked or let's talk about their front end being down in their pasture a little bit and setting a little bit further back um, off their feet. And they don't have that good straight bone structure down into a cat foot. Um, I have to understand that it's probably going to play a, an effect in the pads, how the dog runs and the duration of the dog. Mm-hmm. So August is built, I mean, very, very well. She's got good straight legs. She's got really good feet on her. She's leggy. Um, she's just a beautiful dog. So, but do you think that do you think that can can change Heath? Is is I mean these puppies are growing, their their joints are developing, their their bones are developing. At what age do you think you get to when it's like okay, this is what I'm going to have for the rest of this dog's life? Is there a certain age that you've seen that? I can't. Or do you, or have you seen it from the beginning? and seeing it carry through the rest of their life. Yeah. They'll tighten up a little bit, especially with exercise and, you know, with that, uh-huh. with the muscle structure. Muscle, yeah. Um, they'll tighten up a little bit, but these dogs are heavy. Um, they're very heavy for me. 
And the reason, and well, I'll go into my pick in a little bit, but um, they're heavier than I'd like. So I, what I did is I actually cut their food back just a little bit. So I was feeding, I'm feeding them twice a day, still am. In the morning, I have cut their food in half. Um, I'm trying to take some of that bulkiness just to kind of see. I want them to trim up a little bit and and kind of see what it's actually going to look like. I mean, you know, we, we've been feeding them. I mean, literally, they're eating us out of house and home. I mean, holy cow, like a bunch of vultures. But um, so August, uh, she's come around. She's still the pup that wants to be with you. She's the one that when everybody else gets tired of following you around, they go do their own thing. You look around and she's still following you around. Mm -hmm. Um, She's the one that does that. But the other day, um, there was a rabbit up in the field. And I told Maddie, I said, Maddie, I said, take the pups and walk up in the field and see if they'll, they'll fool with that rabbit. Well, she didn't. So I was sitting here doing something and I looked up. Well, all six puppies were up in the field and there's a drain pipe that comes down across underneath the road and all the pups were up at that drain pipe. Well, I seen August start working the, and that, that rabbit come out of that drain pipe. And Hmm. I seen August started where they cut hay. I seen her following the grass line. So the high grass where they didn't cut down to where they did cut. Well, she was following that grass line and she got up and she, and again, I'm, I'm looking at this right now, just like I was the other day. Um, there's a tree, there's a big, patch of shade out in the field and she was really like interested in that shade area i mean she was working mm-hmm. and fiddling around well the rest of the dog stayed down here and she was exactly where i seen that rabbit that rabbit last so that was like a really good um and i mean i really liked what i saw there i'm like she's up there she's trying to figure this out she's doing it on her own nobody's asked her to whatever so um She's really come around leaps and bounds. Um, again, she's the one that likes to stay the closest to you, too. So um, that's her. She, as far as her temperament, she's not She's not going to take a whole lot. But she's about the same size as Ari. She's a really big jip. Um, and, yeah, so... She's not gonna. She's not gonna take a whole lot of bullying. So that'll take me into Attica when we talk about attitude. So I really got after the the, the first one we done, and we was talking about her having an attitude and you know this and that. So I really started paying attention and watching, and I I can't tell you the times that I've stood in the house peeking through the curtains to see what's going <laughs> on, you know, to watch. Right. right. So why Attica is so growly is they pick on her and it didn't dawn on me to a week or two later after we had done the first podcast with talking about them like she's the smallest her and Allie are the smallest Allie's got a little bit of size to her but not much but at they pick on her like she'll be over there minding her own business and Ari will go over there and stand over top of her which is a dominant mm-hmm. a dominant you know I'm claiming you and Allie will throw that head up or Attica will throw the head up. And <clears throat> after I got to paying attention to it, like that was her, that's her, she's defensive. Mm-hmm. She's being defensive because she gets tired of being bullied. And that's exactly what was going on with her. So once I seen that, that's when I 
like I'm, I started paying more attention. And when I saw that behavior with the other dogs, I'd go out there and, and stop it. Um, that's another reason I don't put her and Ari in the same pen. Ari's the, the alpha and she lets people know that she's the alpha. And I don't mean yeah. that by fighting. I mean, her, her behavior, her body language, um, the way that she postures sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. so I have, I have put a stop to that as much as I can. Um, like I said, when I'm not here and they're in the pen together, it's hard, it's hard to do that, but I'm as consistent and I'm very consistent when I'm, when it, when I'm here, I'm right. con- consistently watching the dogs. I'm seeing what's going on. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So Attica is not as bad as I thought. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this. So you've got, you talked about Ari posturing and things like that. Is that going to be a problem down the road? Because she's going to posture to the wrong dog one of these days. She's going to run into another Attica out there, and she's going to posture, and then the fight's going to be on. And when I hear you tell this, I'm thinking, here's Heath Hyatt, who has got tons of training in dog behavior and things like that, and it took you a couple weeks mm-hmm. to figure out what was actually going on. So how often do we misinterpret what is actually going on? You take Ari that m- just the little nuances, a little attitude she shows that may escape us. And the next thing we know, you know, we're mislabeling the wrong dog here for, for causing the aggression. If I didn't have all these pups together and if I'd have got rid of them at eight or 10 weeks, like we normally do, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation because I wouldn't know. Yeah. And whoever gets her wouldn't know. But when you talk about, is this going to be a problem later on? Again, I'm being very consistent about, um, stopping that behavior. I I don't care if she's the alpha, there's going to be an alpha in the litter. It's going to be alpha male, alpha female. I honestly don't think I have an alpha male. Ash Hmm. and and ax are very laid back. Uh, They're not, they're not, as dominant. And when I say dominant, like I said, I'm talking about body language or posture and, um, just her being the bigger dog. Um, so I'm anytime that I see her with those behaviors, I try to stop it. Um, so I'm being as consistent as I can and whoever gets her, which, um, a forest has come out and looked at them. And I kind of feel he's leaning towards her. And and there, when I, I'll talk about Ari in just a minute. Um, he's going to know. When I when he picks her up, he, I'm going to tell him, this is what you need to do, and don't let it get out of hand. That way mm-hmm. we don't have those problems when the dog is two or three years old. Right. Um, so Attica has, like I said, I, I finally f- I figured that out, what was going on with her. I'm not having any issues um, with her at all. Um, other than the play in the, you know, you know how they'll play and fight and play, but you can tell like when they're play, when they're play fighting, it's completely different. It's more, you know, they'll do the bow to each other and they'll, you know, run around in circles and you, you can tell the difference in right. when I mean this and okay, let's just go out here like brothers and sisters and have fun. Right. Um, so, so Attica, like I said, there was a reason why she was doing what she was doing and we've we've got that pretty much worked out uh and i told you that she was like being very growly over the food um and what i had noticed with her also is she's a very slow eater and like 
I set out three bowls and they'll all go to one bowl and start and then they'll spread Absolutely. out the three bowls and then they're back to one bowl. And what was happening is like, she's a very slow eater. So she would eat and they would go clean the other two bowls out. She would not move. And then they would come back and just try to gobble up everything she had. And she's like, no, no, this is mine. This is mine. Yeah. So, um, in the mornings when I just put a little food out and I don't, I don't even, I don't even sit out there with them anymore because it's not an issue in the evenings when my, when I feed them more and they're going to be there more, we, we always stand there, not have a problem. Don't have a problem. Um, once mm-hmm. I started correcting that behavior, um, like I said, it's pretty much went away. Now, can that behavior come back later on? Absolutely. It can, but I know what's causing it. I know where it started and I know yeah. how to fix it. So, um, we'll, we'll just stay on top of that with her. So how are you fixing her? Are you picking up food or are you taking, you know, are you denying food at that point to the, to Ari or, or how are you fixing it? So I'm, and I want to get into this too, with the training part with some of the things I've done. So sometimes I'm putting the food on the ground. So each dog is working for their food that keeps them occupied longer and they're not over there trying to take her food. Does that so you're sense? just you're just scattering it out. Yep. On yep. a clean, yeah. You know, I assume in the floor of the kennel, right? No, mm-mm. putting it out on the in ground. the grass. Mm-hmm. In the grass. In the grass. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the grass is 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 cut. I mean, they're not having to go through the hay field. But I'm right. also we'll talk about training with that. So I'm also watching which dog stays after it longer. And I know that um, Ariel talks about that too in one of her podcasts. How she uses that to watch and, and learn like she'll learn her pups like once you throw that food out and when i and i'm not when i'm not dumping two bowls of food out so don't don't get me wrong there like i'm taking a handful or two handfuls of food and i'm literally scattering it out like i would chicken feed mm-hmm. and then i sit back on the porch and i see who picks out the the food the easiest and then stops and then i see who stays there even after it's all gone and, and tries to find it and what's that telling you? That's telling me which dog I'm probably going to put my hands on for my trail dog because mm-hmm. they're more persistent. But when we talk about persistence, um, that can be a good or bad thing. If you've got mm-hmm. a dog that's really persistent at things, they're the ones that's a little harder to break. Just like we talk about the slick trend before. You know, yeah. when you got a dog that when he makes his mind up, this is the way it is. Like it's hard. It's hard to fix that. So, um, I'm I'm looking at things like that. And plus, you know, I posted a picture on the thing the other day about, you know, basically, you know, cognitive stimulation. The dog uses their nose for 15 minutes. It's like exercising them for an hour. And for puppies not to be destructive and to do things, we, we need to stimulate them. We need them to be tired. We want them to go mm-hmm. and, and lay out here on the front porch and lay underneath the tree so little exercises like that throughout the day or throughout the week keeps them stimulated enough where they're not chewing your house down. Right. So I use it for several different things. But um, And again, if I'm standing there and I'm standing over, like I'm not even allowing that behavior to start. In the evenings when I feed, like I'm literally standing there. And I've been doing this for, well, over, I mean, over a month now. Mm-hmm. And I've been consistent. And I can't tell you the last time I had a growl over food. I can't tell you. I mean, it's been that long. So I feel pretty confident that we have, we got ahead of that behavior before it started. 
Um, now, like I said, can it resurface? Absolutely. But and as long as I have my hands on them, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to make sure that it's, it's not a problem. So it seems like this is a, a I know you want to get through all the pups, but it seems like this is one of those points that maybe needs to be recapped a little bit. So when this, when you first started seeing this behavior coming on and you stepped in to correct, how much, how physical did you get? How, you know, what, what did you do? And then, and then how have you backed that off? Obviously you already talked about, you know, punishment fitting the crime, but really just boil it down to, to what you had to do to get ahead of the behavior to avoid, uh, you know, anything, anything growing into a bigger problem. Yeah. So, and I know I said it on the first one, the first time I saw the behavior out of Attica, um, I, I don't know that I had made the, the rolled up paper, paper towel with the newspapers. I don't know that I had that. I probably just took my hand and got on her and I got on her pretty good. Like mm-hmm. it was one of those old crap moments for her. Um, because thereafter at one time, one time, and that's why I'm telling you, I probably got on her too hard because that one time, next time I walked up to her over the food, she started, she started looking, looking, yeah, she started lowering that head. The eyes were looking at me like, Oh Uh crap. Oh crap. Oh crap. Um, so then I was like, okay, she got the point. I don't need to do that. Um, the next couple times that it happened. Um, basically it was a, um, an act with a, with a hard, a hard, uh, it was like, it'd be like you throwing your keys at the dog, mm-hmm. you know, boom, that's what it was. Um, after a couple of those times, and, and that was over a period of time, it wasn't like the next three times I fed, like she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. And then she did it. Um, and then, you know, she did it again. So it was a period of time. It wasn't like three consecutive times. <clears throat> Um, and I use, I mean, now, like I said, I'm, I would, I would use my hand because she knows, she knows when, mm-hmm. when dad reaches out and touches me, I need to figure out what's going on. And you'll see, you'll see the pups. I mean, not just her, but, um, even Ash, Ash is very soft. Um, Axel is very, very soft. You raise your voice at him and he like, is like the world's coming apart. Do you think, okay, this is a deep dive. Do you think that that is because they saw the correction that Attica got and they, they saw, cause dogs are, are visual learners too. Canines are visual learners. So you reach out there, they see this hard correction to a dog with attitude. And then all of a sudden it's like, they just related that gruff voice with, with a correction. And so now you've developed a, a, uh, situation with your other pups where when they hear that type of voice, they know what's coming. Yeah. If you, and I've noticed this, if, if you get on a pup enough to make it start yelping, the other pups, they're, that's a verbal indication for the other pups. The other pups are like, Oh crap, what's going on? And they do pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall her, her, it being to that extent with her, um, on that first time. Um, but I did get on Ari for barking in the pen one day and I took, I took the, the, the paper towel roll and a newspaper and I went out and got on her and come back in the house 
and she started up again. And the second time I went out and got on her a little bit harder and she just started squalling. I didn't, I, the punishment was not, I think it startled her more so than, <laughs> than hurt her. Yeah. And yeah. that time, all of them, man, they hit the back of the dog box and they didn't come out. Right. So, um, just seeing that, yes, you're right. Just watching that, the dog will pick up on what's going on. Um, so I haven't had a problem. Like I said, I, I'm staying on top of it. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm doing the food on the ground and I, and I take this, like I'm feeding twice a day. So, you know, that's 14 times a week. If you do seven days, I'm probably doing three or four of those feedings out on the ground. And most of the time it'll be my morning feedings mm. where I don't have as much food. Um, right. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not dumping out and wasting a bunch of dog food. Um, another thing with that, and I'll go into part of some of the stuff that they seen because this is part of it, is um, I will put the food in a certain location in the yard. I will use the wind to my advantage. I'll get um, downwind of it, and I will just start walking, and the puppies will start following me. Ari is the one that that nose goes up. She starts working the air, and she'll go to the food first every time but she's also the one that's one of the most persistent when it's on the ground she'll be out there a little extra long trying to yeah. find it so i'm gauging i mean i can tell you i can't tell you how she's going to turn out because i'm not i may not be the one training her but i can tell you that it is a good indication she's got some of the qualities that i'm looking for like she's yeah. got some things that i want to tap into and see what she does so yeah, Ari, Ari uses her nose the best. Um, I've done two drags, scented drags, uh, with an old piece of bear hide that I have. The pups did not see it. Um, I drug it through the yard. I kept it in the shade. Like I said, we know that holds the scent better. Five minutes, I turned the puppies out, and I walked um, in the opposite direction just to see if they would pick the odor up. Ari and Axel picked the odor up and went to it. Um, Ari's actually the only pup out of the six that stayed with it three quarters of the way. All of yeah. them smelt it. All of them would work it. Yeah. But she was the one that would stay. She'd come back and piddle for a little bit and she'd go back and she'd hit it and work it another 20 yards. And it's when I say this drag was not, it wasn't 40 yards long. Like it, it was not, it, it went from the, the back corner of my house around through the garden boxes. I made a hard turn on purpose, come through some higher grass and up up to the big uh, maple tree in the yard. So 40 yards, it may not be 40 yards, but very short, but she's the one that worked the, the, the biggest leg of the of that drag. Now, all of them smelt it and all of them at times would, would work it a little bit, um, but she was the one that that did the most. Yeah, And again, her behavior with the food on the ground, I'm not surprised. That's something I would have expected from her. Um, so let's run through Allie. So Allie and Ash are the most, they're the most even kill of the, of the six. They're kind of right in the middle. Um, they're not, they're not at August's level a couple weeks ago. Like I said, August has come up um, and they're not um, Ari and, <sighs> 
probably Axel. Um, Axel, like I said, he still barks a lot. He's a more vocal one of the bunch. Um, but Allie and, and Ash are the two two even kill dogs. They're middle of the road. They're not better than anybody. They're not they're not worse than anybody. Their personalities are really good. They're even kill. They don't get excited. Um, like things don't spook them as bad. Mm-hmm. And none of them spooks now. In fact, I can pull up my, I, I do it because if they're loose, when I come home from work, they all meet me halfway down the driveway and I will literally turn my siren on in my car and they stand there like, what are you doing, dad? What are you doing? Yeah. Like now the cool. first time or two, now they, they'd scattered a little Scat- bit, yeah. but now it's like, oh, okay. Dad's almost have a party. Like they don't even pay attention right. to it. <laughs> like that, it's so amazing that that loud volume shrieking sound that drives us crazy like they could care less like they could care less so i don't even do it anymore i'm just i roll down the windows i get out of the way um <laughs> so when you talk about that exposure and stuff but so Allie and ash are the two most level um of the bunch uh axel is i'm gonna put him and ari in the same category i see some some glimpses of things that for him but now there's a couple things I don't like about him. When he walks, his back end like wiggles. Yeah. And what I mean is in his gait. Swivel hip. Yeah. In his gait, um, I worry about his performance over a long haul uh, with that gait. And, I, and it may change, but he, like I said, he wobbles. Like when he, yeah. when he runs, he doesn't do it as bad. Um. But when he's just gating around the yard and whatever, I mean, it's distinctive. Uh, but he and he barks more than the rest of them. He is the barker of the bunch. Um, I let Pino out of the police car in the evenings when they're loose, and Pino takes off running around the house just to get away from them because they attack him. And he, um, like he's the one oh, 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 <laughs> all around the house. So, gonna have a babbler on her hands. We'll have to get a hold of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and he's doing it a little less and he's the one that barks. And when you put the dogs up in the evenings or when you're leaving, he's the one that barks more consistently. Um, after two or three minutes, they all shut up and he'll be the one that's still out there cranking a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think August, Attica, Ari, Allie, Ash and, and Axel. Okay. So I've picked out the one that I want. And I will tell you, just like I told Forrest the other day, the only reason that I picked the one that I did, which is Allie, she's the medium kill, mm-hmm. um, was because she is built tighter than the others. That's it. There, she's no better than the rest of them. She's no worse than the rest of them. She don't do some of the things as fast as the re- as, as um. Attica and Ari, she don't do it as some of it. She don't do as fast, but she's built tighter. She's not as big and heavy boned as they are. And that's the, that's it. There's no, you could pick and you could grab down in this litter and take one of them. And I feel like you would be just as well satisfied if you picked any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my pick. Our pick. I mean, the girls, the fan, everybody. That's the one they want. And like I said, her and Ash's at her. Their personalities just kind of stand out. They're more personable. Um, they just have really good personalities. And like I said, she's not 
as big. And the difference in her and Attica, her and Attica are about the same size. Allie may just have a, I mean, just when I say a little bit of height on her, I say a little bit. Um, Ari's got like an inch on all of them. Um, is our Allie's bone structure, especially up front, is pretty straight, and her feet are a little bit more, a little tighter than Attica's. Mm-hmm. So that's my pick. That's why we I picked the one I did, and then Forrest is going to pick one or two, and then I'll pick another one, which I'm afraid that I'm going to end up with Attica. Um, <laughs> I'm getting pressure from uh, someone about taking her because they don't. They're worried about somebody getting her and her. She needs you. Yeah, that's what I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> but now she's smart. I mean, she's really smart. Um, like I said, that independence, golly, I mean, it worries me. Like, she's still the one that's off by herself most of the time. And, like, um, when the neighbors go up the driveway, i got a right-of-way through me to my neighbors. <clears throat> when the neighbors go up the driveway, um, they're getting where they want to run out to the end of the driveway and and wait. Like, I, if I'm home and I, I hear them coming, I'll just step out on the front porch and say, come on, guys, come on, and they'll come running up on the front porch. She's the one that don't. She stands out there and waits and waits. And when the the car comes up, she'll run up to the, to the garden and then she'll come. So very independent. Um, That independence, I'm not seeing if she was doing some of the things that Ari was doing with the nose work and stuff, I think I would be better with it. Um, But I'm, I'm not seeing that. Uh, So, Anyway, I'm probably going to end up with her, um, and we'll just see how it goes. So some of the things that I've done with the pups over the last month, month and a half, or however long it's been, two months, whatever whatever it's been, is uh, they've they've been on numerous walks with, with uh, Maddie and me and the girls. Uh, they've been back to the pond numerous times. They all took yeah. the water. They, they don't care. They'll get in and swim and piddle around. Um, we have taken two at a time on short trips. They've been in the truck. They've been to the trash dump. They've been to the DG. Um, I haven't taken them for long hauls, but they have been, you know, five miles, 10 miles, probably, Mm -hmm. you know, it's three. So yeah, they've been five to 10 miles. They've not been further than 10 miles. Uh, but there's been several reps of that went on. Um, they've been up in the back of the truck numerous times. In fact, Next week, I'm probably going to start feeding them in the back of the truck. Um, but I'm going to have to fix it where they can get up there because they can't, they're not able to jump that high yet. Yeah. Um, the flirt pole, which you hear um, Ariel talk about, we've done that some. We have not overdone it. I did it when I got back from being out west just to kind of gauge where they're at, where their maturity level is. Um, so I want, I, I listening to that podcast with Ariel, I heard her talk about the flirt pole. Yep. Des, describe in detail what a flirt pole is. <clears throat> so for us, and it could, you can, you can make it anything you want, but for us, it's like she said, she uses a horse whip. Um, she takes a, the, the string on the horse whip, she tie a string to it. And then she puts on the item, a ball, a rag, a coontail, a piece of bear hide. How long? How long? How long? Um, it's it can't be so long that you can't control it. So I would say three foot, four foot at the most. Okay. Okay. So my yeah. my flirt pole actually is a flirt pole we ordered from 
a police canine distributor. And my flirt pole is about, the pole itself is about three foot. And then the string is a little bit longer. So I'd say the string is four foot. Mm-hmm. And then on the end of it, mine has a, um, a piece of leather. And the reason we use the leather is because the puppy's teeth are soft and we don't want to, we don't want to pull their teeth out. So it's soft. They like to bite it. And we, we just use that pole to, I mean, just give the dog, give the, the object movement and the dogs, you'll see that prey kick in. They want to chase, they want to chase and want to chase. So, um, but now when I say flirt pole, I'm actually upgraded till I've got a 20 foot piece of string, um, five eleven cord, and I've got a one foot by one foot piece of bear hide Mm -hmm. tied to it. And I don't even have the pole. I'm using my hand. Um, and I know that, you know, you get six pups pulling on a piece of hide. I mean, it, I wear gloves all the time, even, um, when I'm working the police dogs, but that, that's what I'm using. And yeah. I am in Ariel in the, you know, you the second podcast she t- talks about, um, I put a little bit of bear scent on it and you can't replicate a real bear. Um, I, we know that, but if you can get some of that scent for those dogs to start processing it and being a fun time, you know, right. chase it, chase it, chase it. They get to play with it. They get to play with it. Um, so we, I've used that and I, and I can't tell you, maybe a handful of times, maybe, maybe five times I've done two drags out of that five times where the pups, um, was able to try to work it out. Um, and it's okay. This is one thing that's important. It's okay for the dogs not to find it. Okay. This is a part of the learning process. Um, it's okay for the dogs to fail. You don't have to walk the track with them and put them right to the end of it. Um, it's okay. It's part of the process. It's a part of them learning how to use their nose. But you want them to win more than they lose, right? You don't want them to lose to the point that they're getting deterred. Correct. Right. Um, okay. So if they're not doing it, put it up and don't do it for another month. That's how you fix that. You don't, yeah. you know, don't just keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. Like I said, most people overdo those things. And Aaron and I talk about the the visual stimulation and, and you know, how it, how it counter affects us wanting dog to use their nose the the so yeah I've, I've done that a couple times and um the dogs have not found the end of it yet they haven't found the end of it yet but the next time i take the the hide out i take it away from the drag and i put it into motion and let them chase it chase it chase it and then i let them grab a hold of it and play tug with and when i say play tug i don't mean picking them up off the ground like you see some of the police dogs. like it's soft yeah. because the teeth, the, right. the teeth, their teeth hasn't, their adult teeth hasn't come in yet. So, um, yes, I balance that back and forth to lose. Yes. win you both back and forth. So we've done that. Uh, I do put odor on it. Um, so the dogs, um, can kind of start, I can already start prepping them for what I want them to do. So we've done the drags and the flirt pole. We've done the pond. We've done the short rides and, Maddie informed me as of <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Monday, we had our first speed beef race. Oh yeah. You know how them Holsteins are. So yeah, she, they had the pups back at the pond and they were swimming and everything. And she said that Ari, here we go again. Ari yeah, had come out of the pond and she said, she started looking up on the ridge and, um, Allie and Attica, 
all took off up in the woods. Well, the next thing you know, Maddie sees a deer standing there. And then all of a sudden mm. the deer starts snorting and stomping and here come the pups running back down over the hill. <laughs> so, right. And then the, the other dog, the, do, the doe with the fawn. That's probably. exactly what happened. The other yeah. pups got involved and they went up. Well, here come the fawn flying down through the, the edge of the field. They all take off chasing it. Well, it turns and goes back up in the woods and they ended up losing it. And, um, anyway, Maddie realized that the doe like, was not happy. So she starts gathering up the puppies and come on, come on, come on and, and takes them back over the hill. So yeah, we had our first off game race at uh, 17 weeks old. <laughs> so I guess yeah, that could be go. promising, but right. um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at with the pups. Like I said, in this, the next phase is going to be um, loading. I'm going to start feeding them in the truck. And then when I say in the truck, there's no dog box. It'll just be, just up in the back of the truck, getting them comfortable, getting up on the tailgate. And I can pull my truck. I can back it up real close to my house. And there's like a berm where it's just like a foot difference in the tailgate in the land, um, the, the ground. So that's going to be our next phase. And we'll go from there. I think a couple, three of the dogs are going to end up leaving here pretty soon. Um, like I said, they are eating me out of house and home. So I need to, and I want to concentrate on, on what, what I'm doing with mine. Like I said, it's, they're easy right now. I mean, they're, they all kind of work together. Um, it's like I told Forrest last weekend. I mean, he's like, man, it's so hard to pick. And I'm like, Forrest, there's no big difference in them. Even with August, which was be, be my last pick. I don't think you'll go. I think at this point she's showing, um, the same interest as the rest of them. Like she's completely flipped. Um, she's, she's doing a good job. She wasn't as gamey when we was playing with the flirt pole. Um, two weeks ago, I guess right after I got back. Um, yeah, I mean, she was all over it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, okay. Um, she does still get a little, uh, nervous around some things. Um, but she recovers really, really fast. So that's the pups. That's the update. And like I said, I'll try to add some pictures here and there to the, to the group, the Houndsman XP podcast group, um, just to kind of keep you guys updated. And I'm not, somebody asked me the other day, said, you're going to be ready for them during training season. And I, you know, I'm always the one that's probably a little hesitant about taking my young, young dogs out and putting them, putting them in that environment. Um, at such a young age. So maybe by the end of September, I may carry them a time or two. And then when I say a time or two, that's what it'll be. And, you know, December, they'll be, um, 10, almost 10 months old in December. Um, so they may get a little bit more exposure. I may lead them in and do this and do that. But, uh, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. Well, how do you think, the whole time you're telling this, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about pups. How old did you say they are now? Four, four months old? They're 18, yeah. 18 weeks. Well, they'll, we'll, they'll be 18 weeks come Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, you've spent a considerable amount of time watching these pups. And when you talk about it, it sounds like, you know, it, when we d- dial down into the details, it sounds like there's these huge differences, but really there's not. You're just looking at it from a hypercritical eye 
breaking down each pup. You've talked about strengths and weaknesses and all that stuff. So you've really got a pretty consistent litter of puppies. You've just had the luxury mm -hmm. of watching every move, you know, every move they make and evaluating them in every aspect. Yeah. And again, like I said, my preference was because of the, the build, not because mm -hmm. of the actions. They're all almost equal. I mean, the, they're, Ari is using her nose better than the rest of the litter. Ari is. But the rest of the litter uses her nose too. She's yeah. just a little bit ahead of them. Um, they, I mean, they, there's not a, there's not a huge scale difference. Like you're saying, there's not that absolutely stand out. I don't want this. Um, right. You could give me any pup in this litter and I feel like with, with time and the training that you're going to have just as much luck as with any of the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. I mean, they, like I said, there's not, they're not, a, there's not a big difference in them. The things that I am telling you are micro. Like it's because I'm sitting, like I'm, I'm watching three of them right now. They're 150 yards up over the, on the ridge, up, up, up on the yeah. hill. I don't know what they're doing. One, it looks like Axel's up on the bank fooling around. Um, August, it's August and Ash. And I don't know what they're, in fact, they just went out of sight, but I mean, there's no, there's no difference in them. I mean, really, yeah. no huge difference. There's no disqualifying factors that I would say, nope, don't want this. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. And I'm not saying they're yeah. all going to turn out either. I can't, you know, next year we'll have this conversation again and kind of see where we're at. But I, I, I can't tell you that they're going to make it. I can't tell you they're not going to make it. But I can tell you that there are pretty even-killed litter of puppies. Mm -hmm. um, but we yeah. have spent a lot of time a lot of time on them. Well, it's, it's one of those deals where are we getting rid of puppies too soon? I mean, are we, are we as breeders, are we getting them to that magic age of weaning age? And it's like, get them out of here and, and ruining our chances of success. Or we as breeders, are we not spending enough time? I mean, what's your opinion on that? Well, I think it's twofold. I mean, you know, in the state of Virginia, you can't get rid of a, you're not legally supposed to get rid of a pup until it's eight weeks old. Um, I'm very really? fortunate. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I'm very mm -hmm. fortunate. You know, Chris, you've been in my house, you know where I live. Like I, I can raise a litter of pups and, and let them run loose the majority of the time. And, you know, my neighbors are 200 yards down the hill from me and they're really good neighbors. I don't, I mean, they don't fuss and complain about my dogs and, if my dogs are down in the yard, you know, they'll, if they're down there for an extended period of time, they'll call and say, Hey, you got two dogs down here and I'll yell and they'll come back up through the horse field. And so I have the, the, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be able to do this. Um, if we're talking about developing young dogs, I will be the first one to say that I'm guilty. There are certain things that I like to see by a certain age. And if I don't see those things, I'm typically, I lose interest. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'll be the first to say that. Now, if I see those certain things and the dog's not a rock star at a year and a half old, I'm more likely give that dog some more time because I see the things that, it's showing me some things that I need to see. And I know that when the dog puts it together, like 
I know what I'm going to, I know what I should end up with. So, um, with pups, if, I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, it's expensive. I mean, we have wrote down every dime that we have spent on this litter of pups. And if I'm just being honest between dog food, um, they're all up to date on their shots, their worm medicine. Um, we're at about $1,200, hmm. um, about $1,200. So, and, and we're not selling these, like they're, they're going to us. Um, so yeah. it's expensive and I understand that too, especially with the food, the dog food prices skyrocketing and, um, m- you know, build materials for houses and this and that. I, I get it. Like I get it. Um, so, yeah. um, it's not cheap. But if you do have the opportunity to do it and you can spend some time with, with them. And again, I mean, Ariel talks about it, you know, the dog's got to be, they can't be confined to the four walls of that pen. And yeah, I that's that. where I'm lucky. I can turn my, I mean, these dogs have been loose. Like they do not like to use the bathroom in the pens. If I put them up all day today, when I come home this evening and let them out, the first place they go is to the field to use the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and I think that contributes from being, you know, being out all the time. I'm telling you what, and that's way all of my hounds are. Uh, they will not, it's a last resort type thing. And I've seen other dogs. If you don't clean your kennels and you let a dog <sighs> live in filth, mm-hmm. they will be filthy animals. Yep. But if you, if you get them out, you keep your kennels clean. That's their space. They don't want to live in it any more than you do nope nope that's right clean ken- if you clean kennels out every day you'll have clean dogs you won't have those crap slingers Painters, that, that are yeah. walking yep they <laughs> they will avoid it yeah that's true we cr- we create a lot of that yep yep but so guys that's kind of the lowdown on the pups that's where we're at um well you know maybe wait to the end of summer and give you another update and we'll just keep you know pecking right along with them and keep you updated. And hopefully, hopefully a couple of these out of, out of this litter end up being what we want. Um, I do feel, and I'll say this on the record right now. I like a dog. that has got good speed, top end speed, um, with their bone structure and the, as heavy as they are, that's one of my concerns. I'm not going to say they don't run and do this and do that, but at this point, this is, and I've told, I've told this to, um, the people that's going to be getting them. I don't, I'm a little leery about how fast they're going to be and fast. Don't always win the race. I get that, but I like my dogs to put good pressure on, on game and make him climb. And I worry because they're so heavy built that this is going to be one of the things that I'm not crazy about. Yeah, there's a lot to uh, – this was a good conversation. I th- there's going to be a lot of takeaways in this this one for sure. And then you've been really killing it with the guests lately on – I hope people are are catching what you're – you know, they're picking up what you're putting down here. There's so much knowledge out there about dog training, and, and if we just continue to look in the same places over and over for success, we're never going to get anywhere. And when you hear people like Ariel and – and uh, you, um, Chad, and and you've got some other really good guests coming up that I know of. Mm-hmm. Man, we need to be finding those nuggets of wisdom, and then applying it to what we're doing with these hounds, and we'll have a lot better success rates. 
Yeah. I mean, like I said, and it's a process. Like I said, that's why we come up with the journey because it's a journey. Like this litter of pups, the next, I'm going to raise another litter probably the end of this year, maybe the first of next year. They're not going to be the same. It's going to be a whole different ball game with a whole different litter of pups. So, yeah, you know, we'll go through that one too. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, that's my intentions is to tell you guys what I'm looking at, the things that I'm doing. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not the way it's a way it's the, you know, it's just something that I've picked up. I take a lot of things from my police dog training into my hound, especially the select, like we can't be successful in the police world if our selection's not right. And mm-hmm. the selection for the dog and the handler. Well, in hound world, the hand, the handler, it's not a choice. You decide you're going to get dogs and so on and so forth. That don't mean that, um, that selection process in the hound part is we don't even do that. But if you don't select the right dog that you need, then you're not going to be successful. I'll tell you what, that could be a whole different podcast. And, um, but I would argue, I would argue with you about that a little bit about the selection of the handler. I think it comes from within. I think it's from self-awareness, knowing what you can handle and what you can't. And that's part of the journey too, is, is learning that part. But like I said, that's a whole different topic. So yeah, I, I think we can get there. We just got to keep, we just got to keep talking about it Well, and, and exploring it. I really do. Well, we got some good guests coming up. Um, a lot of experience, uh, coming up. Um, one of the guys that, uh, in the next couple of weeks, you'll hear him, like he played a vital role in our tracking, um, training and success. Um, his knowledge of scent, um, and how it works is phenomenal. Um, and he was a, he started out bear hunting. So you want to tune in and listen to that one. And then we're going to talk to some people that do some some scientific studies and research and that have been a part of some of the research around the country with other universities. And so, yeah, I mean, we're just going to keep adding to it and, you know, giving you guys information. And like we said in the first one, it's going to be like a buffet. Take what you yeah. want, use it, put the rest of it in the uh, in the microwave, keep it warm in case you need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, instead of rolling out a uh, an announcement separate from this podcast. I do want to talk about a couple things, uh, but go wild that sponsors the journey. Uh, you guys have been super engaged over there on go wild and it's, it's really cool to go in there and see the people that are logging their time, listening to the podcast. And, uh, if, if we just took the engagements from our listeners and did the analytics on what's being posted, what people are listening to over on Go Wild, we'd be like the number one podcast in the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, you guys, have, they've been super about doing that. And by the time this episode of The Journey comes out, then we're going to be getting into the final days of this giveaway that we're doing with Go Wild. We're going to give away a Dakota 283. And every time that you listen... You have to listen, okay? Because I'm telling you, these guys down at Go Wild, if they see, you know, eight hours of podcasts come in in one hour, you're going to get flagged and you're probably going to get booted out because they won't be scammed. So you got to listen and then you got to log your time over on Go Wild. And then we're going to take take all of those hours that each person listens. Every time you listen, you get a name in the hat 
and it ups your chances of getting drawn for this Dakota 283, and then it's going to ship direct to your house. So super giveaway. Uh, we're, we're really happy to be partnering with Go Wild and, and that team over there. They're really supportive. And I don't know why anybody is still posting. <laughs> I get so mad and frustrated about other social media platforms. I don't know why anybody's wasting their time posting stuff on other social media. They're just harvesting your data and selling it to people that want to kill us. You know, I don't get that. So all of my stuff is going on, go wild. And, and, um, they listen to what we say. I mean, when's the last time you can't send a message to Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook and expect him to change anything for you, Mm -hmm. but we can do it on go wild. We've done it. We're shaping the community over there for houndsmen and they appreciate us. So, I can't stress it enough. Get over to Go Wild and and start building that community. It's it's built for us. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I'm using it more and more, especially um, you know logging those hours. You know, I spend about six hours a day when I fish. I, that's about my limit. I, I'm logging that information on on there to gain points. Um, and I have a goal. I mean, I'm I need to buy me a couple new collars, and I'm trying to trying to get my my points built up so I can get you know that twenty percent discount and you know, I'm, I'm logging a, all my outdoor activity pretty much. That's where I'm putting it now. Um, yeah. and just guys be patient. They are trying to catch up with the hound world. This has been, um, something that they're, they're not experienced in. They'll tell you that. And we have flooded go wild with, with our activity. They are working on it and they want to us to be a part of what they're doing and they want to be a part of what we're doing. So if the equipment doesn't pop up, if something's not there, um, send them a message. Uh, and like I said, they I can I can promise you because I talked to Brad the other day. They are working on it. This mm-hmm. is something that they're trying. They're playing catch up right now with it because um, you know honestly they didn't know they didn't know how big the hound world was. And no. you know we are a big big part of the hunting community. And um, like I said, they realize that they. They're, they're glad to be a part of it. And like I said, I'm, I'm using this, I'm using that platform a lot more, um, than, than I'm using the other platforms right now. So let's, let's talk about that shopping app real quick. You know, there's a shopping feature over there. And as you gain points by posting, you get different discounts. Okay. So as you go, as you go, yeah, I see you. Um, as you go through this thing, then, then you're going to gain those points. They've already got Garmin there. They've already got Dakota 283 there. They've got boots, Irish Setter boots. The other hound equipment is coming. We are working on that with them right now yep. to develop the equipment that we all use, that we're familiar with, and and get it on there. But it can't happen overnight. We've only been working with these guys for, what, a couple months, Two a few months? months? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look what they've done for us already. So patience, it's coming. Don't be blowing up, go wild. With with you know, hey, I'm not finding a set of Dan's chaps on here. It's coming. Something's coming. Yeah. So we're working on it. Yep. All right, guys. So until the next trip around the sun, we will uh, get back with you. Like I said, got some good podcasts coming up. I hope you guys listen, tune in. Um, I believe you're going to really like these guests. Uh, I like I said, I I enjoy learning that's why we do what we do that's why it's called the journey so guys find a way to teach train and learn